Hi and welcome. You're listening to Keep It in the Family, a podcast series in association with Quilter. I'm Katrin Schindler from CityWire and with me are Rachel Griffin, who's the head of tax and trusts at Quilter, and Angela Lloyd-Reed, senior client director at Strabens Hall. We'll be talking about inheritance planning today, so from choosing the right gifting approach to tackling increasing inheritance tax receipts. Rachel, Angela, welcome. Thanks Hi. very much. Um, let's kick off with the first question, which is what do advisors and their clients actually need to be mindful of when they are playing the intergenerational wealth game? What would you say? Should we start? Go for it. Okay. I mean, I think from, from my perspective, um, what we see is people need to kind of not automatically assume that people know how to pass on wealth. We, we automatically assume that everyone's informed about inheritance tax and everyone's informed about property wealth, etc. So I think it's not making assumptions that people already know how to do things and also how to engage with a family to, to determine what they've got as well. Because I think also sometimes people don't put any value on certain wealth. I'm sure you've come across that, Angela. Yes, I think that um, the biggest one of the biggest things is people realising actually they can they can be quite surprised with how much they have got. You know, things, especially as you get older, the things that you've amassed over a lifetime and the things that do have value. Things like, um, you know, some people with classic cars and paintings and things don't necessarily, they've had them for a long time, don't necessarily think that they have great value. But you know, if you have got um, a budding Picasso that's been working away all these years in the, in the garage, <laughs> then you're surprised with some of the value of these things that you do have. But I think the danger with most of the, the wealth planning that we see is people aren't aware of the actual consequences. It's trying to make sure the intended consequences of who they want to give to so whether that is because of having you know the right wills in place and legal documents but also if they are giving gifts away during their lifetime one of the big things is the bank of mum and dad gifting to their children for deposits are their children in relationships are they married are they, you know is are they thinking about cohabitation agreements so that they can make sure if they're giving money to a child and then that relationship breaks up is that has the gift been lost yeah. so i think it's about making sure that you plan gifting to make sure it goes to the right person but then also trying to make it as simple as possible so that if circumstances change if someone starts a regular gifting that you can then undo that or change change it for the circumstances that you find yourself in how big of a problem is, is it to fall into the trap of just making assumptions of what clients need or might probably need? I think that every single time I see a client, it's starting from fresh. Mm -hmm. Every client is different. So yeah. sitting down and having, you know, whenever whenever clients come in and they say, how does this work? I say, well, how do you want it to work? You know, do you want to, some clients will bring tons and tons of paper to a meeting. Others will sort of sit there and they brought nothing at all. And they kind of go, well, I think I've got this and I think I've got that. So really it's about every client, don't assume anything. You know, every single client, people that you meet who present as a couple that have been together for 30, 40 years, have lots of grown up children, may have grandchildren, and then they whisper, 
I'm not married, by the yeah. way. <laughs> and they think and they think they haven't got an IHT problem because they've heard this thing about cohabiting oh. or common law, common husband law, and wife. Which doesn't oh, exist. It's, no, yes. I mean it's it's unbelievable, isn't it, that, that actually how people's perception of their life and, and the kind of the tax laws don't always uh, fit together. And I always think as well, it's not just the person gifting, it's also the recipients. Because yes. I, I always think, you know, invariably people don't, they get the money and they don't even realise what the intent was of the person actually passing that money on as well, which is I always think is a kind of a, a shame really, because if it's supposed to be used for school fees planning or there's a house deposit as opposed to money just sat in the bank. And how should advisors, if there was one right answer for that, how should they approach gifting in that case? Is it about communicating it more? I think if you're, you know, if you are a financial advisor, then hopefully you are talking to your client about as many parts of their life, not just their finances, but as possible. So the other thing is, you know, invariably, things come up with you know, families are not simple. And it's, you know, there are things like, oh, I want to make provisions for other people that maybe haven't been involved, or they want to give money to people that may not be expecting it or others might assume that they are going to get money coming from parents or other relatives. So having those sorts of conversations, as you said, we're not good at communicating and talking about death. Yeah. You know, we are we are rubbish as a country talking about money or death. Yeah. And we need to talk about both. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think on the gifting side as well, invariably, I don't think the question starts with what do you want to gift? It's almost what do you want to achieve? Isn't it? What, what are your goals? And actually, once you can ascertain what an individual's goals are, they want to see that their children are catered for or they want to help that niece or nephew out. And, and so therefore, actually, naturally, gifting can kind of come out of that conversation. And I also think that, that when people think about gifting, they think, I haven't got any money to gift. Yes. And actually, again, it doesn't have to be large lump sums. I, I, I was reading something yesterday and I think the, you know, £50 a, a month, you know, gives out of normal expenditure, that kind of thing. I think that the rise of um, junior ISAs, JISAs, and also junior pensions, junior SIPs, you know, they are great because we are seeing you know, grandparents invariably saying, right, I'd like to start gifting, but I, you know, I don't want to, it to just disappear on you know, sweets and chocolate and whatever. So let's, let's have it even you know, for something useful. So they can be small amounts that are gifted over a long period of time. With the pension, obviously, they're not able to touch until they're much older. At the moment, 55 then 57, who knows what it will be by the time the young children now actually can receive it. But that can, you know, we explain to, to clients that that can help take the pressure off later in life. Mm -hmm. So actually, when your grandchildren grow up and they are in work, it may be that rather than spending more money on pension contributions, if they know that that's partially sorted, they can then spend a bit more maybe on a mortgage or other sort of day to day. With junior um, ISAs, there is that period of, well, yes, when, when they get um, you know, 16, 18, that element of control. And again, that's where if you can start getting the children involved as they approach that and they can see a benefit of, no, don't spend it on, I don't know, a trip to somewhere, maybe you know something for university or whatever it is, that, a, more, a slightly more useful way of using it than just spending it slightly too quickly. So let's drill down on that aspect a bit further. Are there some best options for gifting that um, clients should be aware of? Because every every client is individual, I wouldn't say that there was a best way. You've got to look at, first of all, you know, what can you afford? You've got to also think about once you've decided what you can afford 
and what your intention is, then it's trying to see are there any pitfalls. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you could have a grandparent who maybe has a final salary pension, they have excess income, great, but they're going to start paying regular school fees. But if they suddenly die, that defined benefit pension dies with them. Mm -hmm. There is nothing to pay that on. So therefore, do you say, okay, well, we're going to have a double strategy of paying for the school fees, but are we going to insure the grandparents so that then if they do die, we can also make sure that there's money to then finish off paying those school fees and the child doesn't have to come out. It's sort of that expectation, isn't it, that, that's being raised. I always think as well, I mean, wills are the foundation, you know, and uh, again, you, I, I always feel this is my soapbox, my kind of banging the drum, but, you know, everyone should have a will. And and, and even if you, you're single or whatever, it, it you know, it, wills aren't just for the wealthy and and even if you are married it doesn't yes of course from a, a a transition of wealth perspective that will go to your spouse and that might be what your intention is but still it gets the money to that that spouse quicker um i think one of the things that we sometimes are faced with where people have perhaps done it themselves so the diy will where they they believe, you know, I'm not going to spend the money that it takes to go and get that drafted professionally. And they'll, they'll put something together. And actually, we find that they haven't necessarily either identified property correctly. Um, they might have um, used names when, you know, they've said spouse. And actually, this person's now divorced and, and not realised the implications of what that's done to their will. Um, or, or even to the point where they haven't even identified that they can dispose of property. What I mean by that is that perhaps they own it as joint tenants. So they own it together. Um, or you know, they didn't realise that they needed to sever that joint tenancy to get to, you know, to be able to actually give that away. So I think f for me, it's making sure that there's people are speaking to professionals and making sure that they kind of understand what they can gift away. There have to be those conversations, which can be very hard to say, okay, mum, so, you know, what happens if you die before your new husband and, you know, are his children going to get the house? And it's these kind of... And they're, they're obviously, they are awkward questions. Mm -hmm. And so that's why when I am speaking with, with clients, I always say to them, you know, these sort of conversations need to be brought up. Use me as the bad guy. Say, oh, I really don't want to talk to you about this, but my financial advisor says I have to. You know, use me as that because I, d I would rather you do that. It opens the door to that conversation than you just, you don't talk about it. So, and also with, when you say with wills, you're saying, oh, you know, people don't need to have a great amount of wealth with wills. But no, the other thing is if they've got children, yeah. you know, and things like, if, even if you just, you know, say, just have a family home with the cost of what home, you know, the, the average home now, what it is. But if you have young children and if both parents happen to die, I mean, I've spoken to people before and said, you, you've got a couple of siblings and they've said, oh, goodness, one of them, fantastic, would love them to look after my children, would not want them to look after the money for the children. Again, the other sibling, dreadful with children, but would really be good with money. So it's about writing that down and having that and knowing that the right people are going to get the money. I just want to touch on one thing you mentioned, um, Rachel, which is DIY wills. I quite like the term. Say someone really wants to make their own will, they don't want to use any professional help. What should they keep in mind? Oh, so much. Um, is it actually possible, I should it, ask? Absolutely. What I would say is the formalities of the will are the key things. So making sure it's witnessed, making sure it's dated, making sure, uh, you know, the, the, the body of it is is as it should be. Um, I think the difficulty with the DIY will is everyone thinks 
my situation's easy. My situation, I've got a very straightforward situation, but you never have. What your will is today or what your objectives are today, you know, it, it's not just about doing the will. It's also about revisiting that will and making sure it's up to date and really making sure that it does do what you want it to do. And what you don't want to do is find that out. Well, you wouldn't find it out, but your beneficiaries or heirs find it out after your death. Whilst there are ways to correct that, um, you know, you're in a, a situation where people are grieving. That's not necessarily the, not the legacy the time, you want to no. leave people with, is it? No. And also people, when they get you know, married or divorced, then their will is, is void. So it needs to be redone. People don't realise, you know, a lot of people don't realise that. But also with power of attorney documents, you know, if you're going to be gifting, you know, have those conversations whilst you are able to, because you will not be able to have it that if you are no longer of sound mind and someone has taken over for you, um, they are not going to suddenly be able to start distributing gifts from your estate willy-nilly. You know, regular gifting, if you've always given birthday presents to that, that nephew, <clears throat> excuse me, you're fine. But but things, you know, out of ordinary gifts are not going to be able to be done. And it, you know, you don't want to leave it too late. So it's also about having a conversation and if the time isn't right to gift, revisiting that conversation over time. When you have those conversations with clients, is it you who has to bring up inheritance tax or are they actually aware of that and bring it up themselves? It's a, it's a mixture. And also it's a mixture as to whether or not clients care. Some, if they've, you know, people may be business owners who've worked, you know, created something themselves, worked very hard. Some of them say, right, I've worked really hard and I've amassed this, this wealth. I want to make sure it isn't lost in inheritance tax. You know, they, they don't want it wasted in their, in their eyes. They want to be able to pass it on. So they might want to actively do something about it. Then they might, you might have others who say, well, I've worked hard for this and I've made, you know, I've amassed this wealth. No, I want my children to, to, I don't want them to necessarily get it because I want them to go and make their own money. And so some of them aren't, aren't interested either about the passing on, so particularly IHG doesn't bother them. And some of them sort of have said, I had one person who, who said, oh, well, I, I'm sure if I give the government the money, they'll do something wise with it. So you know, not often something that is said by, by many clients, but there is still this idea of you know, the redistribution of wealth. I think that gifting as well to, to causes, I think, that, that has come up more as a discussion and particularly um, the higher wealth bracket about setting up funds or doing more charity work on sort of a larger level. That has that has certainly increased since the, since COVID. I think also a lot. Some people don't realise the amount of inheritance tax either. And I mean, certainly in terms of sparking that conversation, I think that headline of forty percent of your estate could be lost to the tax man can be quite a powerful, um, yes. you know, sort of starting point mm -hmm. for for a discussion. Because as you say, there'll be some people who really don't mind that, um, but it's Not probably that many. middle middle bracket almost where it's you know you've worked hard to get to a point where you can gift money to your children. Before we wrap it up, can we just take a quick look on IHT and how you can decrease it? Gifting, so reducing your reducing your estate is the, the easy one. So, you know, the spend more money it. you can spend <laughs> during <laughs> your lifetime, the better. But obviously a lot of people also have that in their, their family, in their, their house. So that can be kind of difficult. Um, trust planning, so we, you know, whether that's during your lifetime or... Um, on death, uh, redistribution of 
who owns what. So again, it might be that you want to gift something during your lifetime. Could be like I talked about earlier about who owns what asset. Just utilizing all the allowances and reliefs you possibly can. That would be my advice. And 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 knowing firstly knowing what you've got, and secondly knowing what your potential tax liability is. And looking at the reliefs and um, allowances that you can potentially utilise and make sure you do. I think that also some clients know that there is no way that they are going to efficiently and effectively reduce their IHT liability by much. There will be certain things that they can do, certain types of investments that, and certain types of holding assets that will reduce the IHT liability. But also I think that there are there are clients that will say, well... I know I'm going to have this liability and ensuring that liability is is something that if you the earlier you start ensuring that liability if you're looking at sort of a whole of life plan then the cheaper it's going to be on, a, on an ongoing basis again it's all about that starting those conversations earlier and planning them you know earlier and some some people are happy to say well I know that there will be this liability I don't want that to fall onto my beneficiaries and sometimes it's about keeping estates together or items that they might not want to leave the family so rather than risk that having to be sold on death and losing it they will say right let's put a policy in place so that we know the money will be there outside of my estate to be able to pay that tax liability. I mean, one of the benefits of getting a professional involved, whether that is a financial advisor or hopefully it's a team of us. So it's a financial advisor. There'll be tax accountants. There'll be lawyers. If you can get all of us involved, because we will have seen lots of different ways that this has worked for different clients and things, we will see the unintended consequences, hopefully. We'll be able to say, well, that's great. You want to do this and this and this. Ah, but actually this may also happen so we're able to hopefully look at the risks that there are and then see how we can mitigate those mm-hmm. and i think sorry I, one last thing i would add as well and i'm sure angela's come across this is death and and wills and money can bring out the worst in people as well so it's also almost setting it you know setting the rules of the the engagement almost and actually by having it written down and, and the deceased kind of almost Set, set set out their stall then actually there isn't this interpretation required for the family and therefore there isn't necessarily the kind of the angst that might go alongside that as well yeah at the end of the day you want to make it easier for the people who are left behind yes good record keeping yes <laughs> yes yeah, absolutely i feel like we could talk for another 60 minutes but we have to wrap it up thank you so much it was delightful thank, thank you, you.